Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if you're a guest with us today, there's a good chance, like if you, even if you're new to Calvary in the last couple years, there's a, there's a good chance that you may not realize how significant today's message is. We have been in the book of Acts for a long time. When we started the book of Acts, some of you didn't have your driver's licenses. I mean, it's been, it's been a long time. With a few breaks here and there, we've pretty much just been working our way, plowing our way through the book of Acts. Today is the last. We get to the end of the book. Me and Luke are both offended that you're clapping. And, uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 28 today. Acts chapter 28. If you'll turn there, this has been, uh, for me, just fun. I, this journey that we've taken through the book of Acts um, has, has really, I think, been healthy for us as a church, as a pastor. It's, it's been fun to preach, and it's, it's been two years, so we're just going to start over again. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. Actually, next, next week is Easter. Then the following week, we're starting a series that we're calling The Voices in My Head. So some of you are like, oh, amen, <laughs> amen. Because how many times are there these thoughts and there's these things, past, present, future, these, these voices, let's just be honest, that are in our head. And we're gonna talk about biblical thinking and we're gonna look at some examples in scripture. How do we deal with our emotions? How do we think in healthy ways? And so we're gonna do that following Easter and I'm just really excited about that series of messages and what God's gonna do through that. We started the book of Acts in 2017, the Sunday after Easter. So for about two years, we've been plugging our way through this, and it's been a lot of action. If you were, let me just recap it real quick. If you were going to break up the book of Acts, you could do it probably in like three kind of chunks. You know, the first big segment is how the, the church comes to Jerusalem. It talks about how the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and then the church begins to develop. The second big segment deals primarily with the apostle Peter and some of the other apostles in Jerusalem. And then that last, that last segment, you, you have the, Peter who takes the gospel initially to the Gentiles, and then starting with chapter 9 and then even and more so in chapter 13, we focus on a guy named Paul. And it's Paul's journeys. Paul was a great missionary. Paul literally traveled the world. He's the one that started churches and took the gospel. He was this incredible evangelist and missionary literally all over the known world in that time. And so for months and months, we've been focusing on the life of the apostle Paul. And it has been lots of action, hasn't it? I mean, like when we read about it, he's in city after city. He's starting church after church. We've, we've, we've traveled with him through three different missionary journeys. And I'll just be honest, I don't know about you, but I kind of get messed up on where he is when. A anybody else? Oh, I think he's in Ephesus. He might be in Corinth. I don't know where he is. Right? We think that a little bit as we kind of travel through this. And he is just moving all over the world until chapter 21. And then once you get to chapter 21... It's kind of just stuck. Like what you see from that point on, chapters 21 through 28, in one form or another, is Paul in captivity. He's, he's in a prison. He's detained. He's in a cell of some kind, if you will. 
You know, we, we've had this happen where first he was in Jerusalem, and when he was there in chapter 21, there was this riot that started in the temple because they were accusing him of things that, that he didn't do. So the soldiers came and rushed him into the fortress and put him in a cell there. They detained him there because they were trying to stop the riot. Then they send him to a prison in a place called Caesarea, and they hold him there for two years because the, the rulers there, guys named Felix and then a guy named Festus, they just, they just didn't want to deal with him. So he was there for two years. And then finally, and this is where we were last week, he got on a ship and headed towards Rome. Do you remember that? That was a, was a nice, pleasant cruise for him, wasn't it? Shipwreck. And then, and then he, has to, he has to go through this terrible storm. The ship wrecks. Then he swims over to an island where he gets bitten by a snake. You ever had a vacation like that? It was bad news. So now this is where we found Paul. All through this time, ultimately, all to get him to Rome. We read about that in chapters 20 and 21. Today, we're going to look at what happens when Paul gets to Rome, and we've called this series Storms and Cells, because sometimes our lives go through storms. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place that feels like a prison cell, and what I was hoping that that we would get through this, what we'd see is what to do when you find yourself where you do not want to be. I don't know if you'd say you're in a cell. I don't know if you'd say you're in a storm, but are any of you familiar with the place you do not want to be? (laughs) And you find yourself in those places sometimes. And this is where we'll track with Paul. Acts chapter 28, verse 16. Let's pick it up here. It says, when Paul, when we got to Rome and that we there, that's, that's Luke who's writing the book of Acts. He's cataloging this history. He says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. You read that, you go, Paul's allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. That doesn't sound too bad. That doesn't sound like a prison. Well, it's it's not quite as good as it sounds. Yeah, he was in a fortress in Jerusalem, and he was in a prison in Caesarea. But when he gets to Rome, the the centurion that was in charge of him, if you remember from last week, is a guy named Julius. Julius would have taken him to a place that was the camp of what was called the Praetorian Guard. It was about 1,000 soldiers that protected parts of Rome. And in that time, they would have taken him there and they would have assessed what kind of prisoner is Paul? Is he, is he, is he need high maximum security or can he just be trusted on his own? And they came up with kind of a low maintenance situation where they would let him rent his own place to live. He, he probably didn't have money. It was probably something that the believers, the other Christians in Rome funded for him. He lived in this apartment, if you will. There was, there was over a million inhabitants in Rome. They, they would have been very crowded in that city. So they built what was called insulas. We, we'd think of them as apartment buildings. There were these big block buildings that would have multiple stories with, with like rooms just inside of them. Paul would have gotten one of those rooms, most likely on a fourth or fifth floor. He would have been in this small room, not allowed to go too far away from that military camp, not allowed to leave that home that he was in, And the whole time that he was there, he was most likely chained at the wrist to a Roman soldier. Those soldiers would rotate in and out. They'd they'd do shifts throughout the day. And everything that Paul did, he did chained to a soldier. That sounds like captivity to me. How about you? This is where Paul finds himself when he gets to Rome. I was... um, I was overwhelmed with the response to last week's message. I I didn't see it coming, and so many of you who in one way or another said to me, 
as we talked about storms last week, you said that you are in a storm or you know someone who's in a storm. How timely that message was. And when we, when we talk about metaphorical storms, if you will, the storm has a close cousin that's called a cell. In fact, for many of us, it's the same thing. It feels like the same thing. Or they go back and before those two things, those places where you do not want to be. I think the cell's a little bit different from the storm because when the storm comes, it comes with all kinds of action. When you feel like you're detained or you're in some kind of a prison, it's not so much action. So many times when you find yourself in that place, it's, it's just waiting Storms and cells have a lot of the same emotional experience, uncertainty, fear, loneliness, doubt, frustration, anger. But when you're in the cell, you wonder, is anything happening here? With a storm, everything's happening. Sometimes with a cell, you just wonder, is there any hope? Look, I don't exactly know how to define it for you. I trust the Holy Spirit to do that. But as I thought about this, what's a cell look like? If you feel like maybe you're in a, in a type of prison, if you will, sometimes it's a financial burden you can't get past. Sometimes it's a relationship or a marriage or a friendship that's left you with consequences that you're not sure that you can handle. Maybe it's a dead-end job or an unreasonable boss. Maybe it's a diagnosis that's always on your mind. Maybe it's an injustice that somehow has defined you an abuse you suffered, accusations that have been made against you, places where you've been wronged and no one has even tried to make it right. It's a decision that haunts you. It could be a prison of regret, mistakes, guilt, and condemnation that you live in. Maybe so much so that no one else even knows about it. It could be that sin or temptation that keeps coming to you over and over again. It chases you down and seems to get the best of you. It's those places in life where you feel confined cold and dark and lonely and limited. And from where you are, you wonder if there's any way out. That's a nice way to launch a sermon on a rainy Sunday morning. (laughs) But it's real. For a lot of us, it's real. Call it a storm, call it a cell, whatever you want to call it. There's these times where life brings things to us and we find ourselves in a place where we do not want to be. As a pastor, I have, I have talked to, I have journeyed with, I have walked through, I've, I've prayed with countless people who find themselves in a place and say, Pastor, I'm in, my, I'm in a place where I do not want to be. I'm in a storm. I'm in a cell. What do I do in this place? And here's, here's what just came to me as we thought about this. I feel like the Holy Spirit would want to encourage you today, that when you're in that place, you don't have to be stuck there. When you're in that place, you don't have to let that place get the best of you. I want to encourage you today, even if you're in the midst of a cell, of a prison, of a detainment in your life, that you would choose to believe today. Be encouraged to believe. I want to encourage you to believe in the midst of this. And there's two things in particular. As you look at Paul's role model here at the end of the book of Acts, when he's in this place of confinement... Five years that he's in some kind of a prison. Five years that he's in some kind of a cell. How does he work through it? We're going to look at this in Paul's role model. Two two things I hope you'll believe. Number one, believe there is purpose in your prison. I want to encourage you to believe that there is a purpose 
in your prison, that God is not wasting this. I'm not saying that it's not real. I'm not saying that it's not difficult. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. I'm saying that there is a purpose. And what you see in the life of the Apostle Paul through this whole time is that God is doing something that you cannot see through the cell that you can see. God is doing something you cannot see through the cell that you can. All you see are three cold walls and prison bars. And what God sees is I'm doing something more through this than you can even begin to imagine. Paul finds himself in Rome. He's in this this apartment. He's in this kind of little prison house. He's chained to a soldier. Watch what he does next. Verse 17 of Acts chapter 28. Three days later... Paul called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. I want to encourage you to believe that there is a purpose in your prison, and there's some things I want you to see about this. One of the things that's interesting is Paul's in this house, right? He's in this apartment, and he can't leave which messes up his whole plan. Here's what Paul typically did. When he came to a new place, his first stop in his preaching would be to go to the synagogue. It was, it was like the church for the Jewish people. Well, Paul was a Jewish person. He understood their teachings. He understood their customs, and he understood their doctrine. And so the first place he would go was to go and preach in the synagogue, but he can't go to the synagogue. Why? Because he's confined to his house. So here's what Paul says. If I can't go to the synagogue, I'll make sure and bring the synagogue to me. And so he invites the Jewish leaders to come to his apartment and meet with him. What you see here is that Paul realizes that even though he's stuck in that place, it doesn't have to define him. Do not allow what you cannot do to keep you from what you can do. Do not allow what you cannot do to keep you from what you can do. Paul says, I can't leave this house, but I still can preach the gospel. I can't go where I used to go, but I'm gonna find a way to bring where I used to go to me. In those moments to say, God, I'm gonna let you use me even in this place. So many times I'm quick to say that glass is half empty when God wants me to see that that glass is still, somebody help me, (laughs) half full, right? He's wanting to use something through this. You must not let your lack become your limit. Just because you're lacking something, just because there's things you can't do, that doesn't mean that it's got to stop you from doing what God's called you to do. In fact, oftentimes, he uses that to do something new. You ever heard the term necessity is the mother of invention? Okay, so that's a powerful thing. So many times, I don't think about what needs to be done or what could be done until I find myself in a place where I'm face-to-face with my limits, when God, when God moved us from Glendale over here to Conant Street, we were excited. We moved in. We made this room our home because it was the biggest room in the building, and it was great until it wasn't, right? Have, have you been here at 10 o'clock? The, the answer to that is yes, okay? Unless, of course, you're not all here right now, but it's cool. So what happened was this room gets full, right? 
So that's why at 10 o'clock, we have another venue across the hall in our generations venue. It's a little bit more laid back, a little, little bit more traditional in some ways. So we have that at 10 o'clock that's allowed us to continue to grow. And then when we're still running out of room, we move next door. And so Auditorium 2, those of you that are in Auditorium 2, it's awesome because we have live worship over there. You have the opportunity to kind of have this same service experience. You've never been in there. But even that is starting to get tight. So every time that you have this limit, you have to go, what do we do next, right? So even as a church, we're thinking about that. What, what do we have to do? Is it future venues or sites? Is it modifying service times? Especially now that the Glendale building has sold, we can begin to think about and pray about, God, would you have for us to do an expanded auditorium at some point for even more people to be able to experience what God's doing here at Calvary? Because oftentimes necessity is the mother of invention. The problem is too many times where I see my limit, I'm quick to say no. Eh, I can't do it. Sorry, no. When God says, I'd rather you say yes first. <laughs> like instead of just shutting it off and shutting it down, be quick to say, God, what can you do? I wanna challenge you to start saying yes before you say no. That before you're quick to go, no, God, can't do it, that you might say, yes, God, I'll do what you say. Now look, use wisdom and think it through and good, good counsel and, and make sure you're being led of the Holy Spirit because you can do dumb things sometimes. There was a baseball field this month that was wet in New York, and so a game was, was being like delayed and postponed because they couldn't play this high school baseball game, and somebody got a bright idea and said, I bet we can dry this field out quickly. So they went out and poured 24 gallons of gasoline on the infield and then lit it because what dries things out quicker than fire? Or what makes ground more toxic than gasoline? <laughs> Right? Good idea? That was a really dumb idea. So make sure you're being led of the Spirit. Amen? Right? But don't let what you can't do keep you from what you can do. Let me make it a little more personal if I can. Do not allow injustice to make you inactive. Do not allow injustice to make you inactive. Think about it. What are the first words out of Paul's mouth when the Jewish leaders show up? He says, look, I was accused of doing something I didn't do. I didn't speak against the Jewish people. That's what they said I did. I wasn't against what I had grown up with. That's what they said I did. I was accused of doing something I did not do. He was right to deal with it. He was right to work it out. But for so many people, once they experience injustice or hurt or pain, it limits them and it keeps them from what God wants them to do. I've known an awful lot of people that because of the pain in their life, they, they, don't, they, don't, they take themselves out of the game, right? They, they go over and they, they sit on the bench instead of being active where God would have for them to be. Some of them even quit the team because they allow injustice. And I'm not saying injustice didn't happen. Honestly, I'm sure there were places where you were hurt, maybe where you were abused, where you experience tragic loss, where somebody or something in some way brought an injustice your way, where, where you were misled, where you were betrayed, or maybe even more, and sometimes I, I think this can be just as, if not more painful, you were dismissed. Like you, you just don't even matter. Isn't that what happened to Paul? Like when he was in Caesarea, they were like, eh, we don't know what to do with you. So we'll just put you back in prison. That hurts. 
You know what else is interesting? Who was it that brought the most hurt to Paul? It was the Jewish religious leaders. A lot of people have felt a lot of injustice from in the name of religion, right? There's a lot of hurt that has come because of the church. And look, I, I don't know what you've experienced, what hurt or disappointment or disillusionment, whether you've been abandoned by the established church or a leader let you down or there was a spiritual truth that left you feeling empty. But it's easy to go, ah, I've been hurt. And so I'm gonna check out on church and I'm gonna check out on God. And what Paul shows us is even though it's right to say there was an injustice, don't let that injustice make you inactive. When you fixate on what is wrong, it'll keep you from what is right. Fixating on what is wrong will keep you from what is right. So call the injustice out. Do your best to make things right, but don't let it keep you from what God would have for you to do. Because watch what Paul does next, right? He says, yeah, I was mistreated. The Jewish leaders come to him. He tells them his story, and what they do is they line it up for him to preach to even more people. Verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying, and he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Paul was in a prison. He had all kinds of things he could complain about or be upset about, but here's what he decided. Do not allow your detainment to become a distraction. Just because there are things happening that you don't like or that you don't expect, don't let that keep you from what God has called you to do. That is huge in your role as a parent, in your role as a spouse, in your role as a family member, in your job, in your school, in your church, in your community. Even though you may find yourself in a place where you do not want to be, do not let that keep you from the things that God has called you for. Do you know what will help you to deal with distractions? Purpose is the enemy of distraction. Because when you let distractions take you too far down the road, you'll find yourself chasing after things that really don't matter. There's a, there was a phone call that came to a police department recently. I have the actual like dispatcher's report that's here. Let me read it to you. 1.48 p.m., 1.48 in the afternoon. Reporting party calls 911 and says someone is in her bathroom. Tells dispatch the person has the bathroom door locked. The caller can see shadows under the bathroom door. One minute later, 149, multiple deputies respond to the house. Six minutes later, 155, deputies surround the house and request a canine to assist them. Deputies can hear noise coming from the bathroom. 10 minutes later, 205, after several announcements, the suspect does not come out when commanded. With guns drawn, deputies open the door to encounter the suspect, an automated robot vacuum. Here's the, here's the report, 213. <laughs> Deputy Rogers cleans the call with the following note. As we entered the home, we could hear rustling in the bathroom. We made several announcements and the rustling became more frequent. We breached the bathroom door and encountered a very thorough vacuuming job being done by a Roomba robotic vacuum cleaner. <laughs> could you imagine being a police officer called in to clean up that situation? It'd be frightening to have to sweep that room, right? I mean, there's all, I got more, I got more, I got more. Look, here's the deal. 
if you're not careful, you'll let the most ridiculous things distract you. Be careful what you allow to distract you because even if you're in a place you do not want to be, there is a purpose that God is trying to work out in your life, which leads me to the next thing I wanna show you. Okay, if God has a purpose he wants to play out in your life, what is it? How do you find it? Where do you see it? Go to the very end of the book. You never thought you'd hear those words. Go to the last verses in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. I'm a little bit disappointed. Anybody else? Like, I still got questions. Like, what are you, what are you, are we just leaving him there? Like, what happens? What about his trial? What about, all the, what about all the other people? What's, what's going on? Like you have all these questions that you ask. So there's a little bit there. And you just kind of go, why is it end there? I think the reason that it ends there is because it had reached this point. After two years, if you're a Roman citizen who's in custody, the people who are making claims against you, charges against you, they have 18 months to two years to come and present those charges. Well, apparently they never came because it doesn't talk to us about there being a trial before Caesar at this point. And so at this point, we kind of get to the assumption that maybe Paul's time in Rome ends, and it's going to start this next chapter. If you remember, who wrote the book of Acts? Anybody remember? It was, it was anybody? Luke. So Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a traveling companion of Paul's. He was with him through all of these five years of the imprisonment. Luke was with him. So Luke wrote his first gospel, and then he wrote this second volume, which is the book of Acts, which tells us about what happened after Jesus' resurrection, how the Holy Spirit worked through the church. And you got to wonder if maybe he wrapped this one up, delivered it to Theophilus, who was the guy he was writing it for, and then as they launched to go out in their next adventure, maybe Luke planned to write a third one, kind of a volume that never happened. And so that's why the book of Acts just kind of ends kind of abruptly like that. that that's kind of what I believe. Here's what we know from history is that Paul leaves Rome, he goes to the east, preaches, starts more churches, goes as far maybe as the, as the country of what we would know as Spain today, and then he ends up back in Rome where he gets put in a much more brutal prison situation and eventually is executed by the emperor Nero and is beheaded for his faith. It's an interesting story when we look at it. And what it leads us to look at is even in the midst of your captivity, how do you believe? Second thing I'd like to show you, believe there is opportunity in your captivity. Believe there is opportunity in your captivity to which you say, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, do you know what I'm going through? What kind of opportunity could there be? Well, it tells us here that for two whole years, Paul was able to communicate the gospel and people would come to him. Even in his own house there, he was able to proclaim the kingdom of God. When you are in that cell, even that place where you do not want to be, there is an opportunity to introduce someone to Jesus. Even in that place, recognize an opportunity to introduce someone to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you find yourself in a place you don't want to be, maybe especially if you find yourself in a place you don't want to be, recognize that God may have you there because in that place, he wants you to introduce someone else to Jesus. Paul had this opportunity to do it over and over again. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Some of you are not going to like this. In fact, some of you aren't going to like me for saying this. 
Your chains may be on you, but they may not be about you. Like those chains that you're wearing, that place where you're at, it may be something you're going through, but it might not be about you. Do you know how many times I've heard stories from some of you who've said, I found myself in a place I did not want to be, and yet God used it. I was in the hospital, and that's when I got to tell somebody about Jesus. I was waiting for my car to get fixed, and that's when I had a chance to pray with somebody. My refrigerator broke, and when the repair person came, I led him to Christ. But oftentimes, it's in the midst of those times where we're where we do not want to be, that God is able to use those things and work something out in our lives and in the lives of others. This really matters because you'll never find freedom without Jesus Christ. And God uses us to take that hope to other people, to share that faith with other people, to help them to see that even if you're in the midst of what you might call a prison, in that place you can find confidence from God and you can find hope from God because you find peace through that relationship that you have with him because he's your savior. You find freedom because you know that he is the one who's forgiven you and he's your Lord and you find freedom because he's the one who gives purpose and meaning to your life. I wanna encourage you today, if you do not know Jesus as your savior and as your Lord, don't put it off any longer. Make today the day that you put your trust in him. And if you're in the midst of a prison, see it as an opportunity for you to introduce someone else to Jesus and see it as an opportunity to help others find freedom. Look, when you are in that prison, you have an opportunity to help others find freedom. We, we talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about how sometimes those who are in a storm need those who have been in a storm to come alongside and encourage them. You know what I'm talking about? Look, there are times when you may be in captivity and God wants to use that opportunity to help others find freedom. Tell you a story. We know this from the Bible. There's this guy named Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave and he had escaped from his master. And when he escaped, he ran away to the big city of Rome because that was the best place where he could maybe get some work and maybe where he could hide out. And so he's run away from the guy who was his, his owner, his master, which not only meant that now he had freedom, but it also meant that he had to constantly be looking over his shoulder because if he was found, he would certainly go back into slavery. Most likely, he would probably be executed for having run away in the first place. Well, somehow in the mix, when he gets to Rome, he comes to know Jesus as his Savior and Lord, and he becomes friends with the Apostle Paul to the point that Onesimus is one of the people who come back and forth quite a bit and visit with Paul and help Paul with the things that he has. And as he and Paul get to know each other, Onesimus tells him his story about being a slave and come to find out that the guy that was his owner is a friend of Paul's, a guy named Philemon. You ever heard that name? And so what Paul does while he's in captivity is he writes a letter to Philemon and says, I'm sending back to you your former slave Onesimus, who's no longer just your slave, he's now your brother in Christ. He says, Onesimus, you need to go back because you need to find freedom. He says, Philemon, I'm sending him back so that you can find forgiveness. Your lives can be changed 
And the book of Philemon has impacted people. It didn't just change their lives and set them free. It has impacted people's lives for centuries since then. Understand this. If Paul had not been in prison, Philemon wouldn't have found forgiveness and Onesimus would not have found true freedom. God may use your captivity to help someone else find freedom. God may use your captivity, the place where you are, to help someone else find freedom. So let me encourage you, do not waste your chains. If God has put you in a place that you do not want to be, don't waste it. Say, God, what do you want to do here? I, oftentimes when I go to the hospital, right, to visit with somebody, especially somebody who's in a, in a really kind of tough health situation, I go walking in and I say to myself, I am walking in this room because I am the man of God, right? I'm going to walk in there, and I have faith to believe, and I am going to speak words of anointed encouragement to them, and when I step up to that bed, there will be a shaft of light that will come down, and angels' voices, oh, will happen, like all, and that's what I have in my head, right? And then I march right up to that hospital bed, and I open my mouth to try to encourage them, and instead, they speak words of life to me, and I thought I was going there to bless them. And I find out that I was so much more blessed because of how they invested. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know those experiences? I think I'm going to be the one who's going to help them, and they end up being the one who shows me what life really is. I love those moments because those are people who know I am not going to waste my chains. I visited somebody not too long ago that was just the opposite. I know they have hope in Jesus Christ, and I know they know what it's like to find peace in him, but when they were in the hospital, they were just mean. <laughs> and as a pastor, I kind of wanted to call it out, uh, but I was scared, right? And, and I wanted to say to him, look, don't, I know this is frightening, and I know this is hard, and I can't imagine what it's like, but don't waste these moments. You can show people Jesus. Can I tell you this? The more you fight them, the tighter your chains will be. The more you pull on those things and try to get out of those things. I'm not saying you don't want to be free. And look, oftentimes our captivity doesn't last forever. It's long, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But know that the more you fight them, the tighter your chains will be. If you've got like an iPhone or an iPad or some kind of Apple device, you know that they have like a passcode lock on them. A lot of, a lot of your, your handheld tablets, your phones do. But the Apple ones, you put in like some kind of code. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody awake? You with me? All right, cool. So you know you put that in. Now here's the deal. If, if you put the passcode in and you get it wrong, you get a couple of chances. But then if you get it wrong too many times, it locks you out. And it says you have to wait, you know, one minute before you can try it again. You know what I'm talking about? Our kids would do this to each other's devices. They didn't know the passcodes, so they'd just do things. And then when they go to pick up their phones, like, you have to wait five minutes to open it. Mom! You know, kind of thing. This guy went and picked up his family's iPad after his three-year-old had had it. And what he posted on Twitter is that on the front of his Apple iPad, the screen said, try again in 25,536,442 minutes. That means he can open his iPad in the year 2067 when the toddler is in his 50s. Because in futility, kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. 
look, the more you fight your chains, the tighter they're going to be. At what point do you just say, God, I don't know what's going on here, but I know you do. Because in that moment, there's an opportunity for you to introduce someone else to Jesus. And in that moment, there's an opportunity for you to help someone else find freedom. And can I encourage you with this? There is an opportunity to impact others exponentially. I'm not going to lie. Part of, we, we took about eight years to get through the first two chapters in Acts. Do you remember that? We were like there forever. And yet, in just a matter of a few weeks, we've moved from chapter 21 to chapter 28. Do you know why? Not a whole lot happens. It's about Paul and his trials, and he tells his story, and he's back and forth in the shipwreck. and all. I mean, there's, there's a lot there. It's important. We read it. We learn from it. But it wasn't the same. It was like, man, we could move through this because it just feels like there's not a whole lot happening. And a guy who likes to see things happen reads that and go, for five years, Paul was in prison. What a waste. What a waste of time. For a guy who had been all over the world, who had been starting churches, who had been changing lives, just seems like, just seems like such a waste. Except here's, here's what's interesting. While Paul was two years in the prison in Caesarea, his friend Luke was with him. Luke not only wrote the book of Acts, but he wrote a gospel, a story of Jesus that he cleverly named it. It's called the gospel of anybody? <laughs> Luke, right? Here's... Here's what we forget. The whole time Paul's in prison in Caesarea, geographically, Luke is in an ideal location to do his interviews, to go to places where Jesus walked and talked, to talk to people who knew Jesus. And many believe that while Paul was in prison in Caesarea, that's when Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And you know those two years that Paul was in prison in Rome? Many people believe that that's the time when Luke was able to collect all of his information and talk to key people, and during that time, he was able to write the book of Acts. We call it wasted time in prison. Luke called it a writing break. And if it wasn't for those prison times, we might not have the gospel of Luke or the book of Acts. Let me encourage you, while you are waiting, God is working. And even when you feel like nothing is happening, God is at work and he's doing incredible things. Let me tell you this even in a, in a, in a more clear way. It tells us there in Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31, that there were people who came and visited with Paul. We know the names of at least three of them. There was a guy named Epaphroditus who was from a city called Philippi. There was a guy named Tychius who was from a city called Ephesus. And there was a guy named Epaphras who was from a city called Colossae. We know this because all three of those guys came and visited Paul, and they didn't just hang out with them, but when they left their visit with Paul, Paul had had time to think and to pray and to receive from the Holy Spirit. And so while he was there, he wrote and sent back with each one of those guys a letter to the churches they came from. That's why we have the letters of Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians. If Paul had not been in prison, we might not have those books of the Bible, Listen to what he says here. Colossians chapter four, verse 18. Paul's writing to them and he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul says, I'm in prison. Ephesians chapter six. This is where Paul, remember, remember we talked about the armor of God several weeks back? And there's that one line in there to pray in the spirit. I like that part. And then I usually skip over the next two verses because they don't mean a whole lot to me until right now. Ephesians chapter six, verse 19, Paul says, pray also for me 
that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. When Paul wrote to you about the armor of God, because he was sitting in his apartment in Rome, chained to a soldier and looking at the armor that he had on, he had a picture in that place. We wouldn't have the book of Ephesians if it wasn't for his captivity in Rome. One, one other one, book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You know these five years that seem to be wasted? It's God doing his work. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. It's become clear to the whole palace guard, that praetorian guard that they took him to, they've all heard the gospel. You know why? Because they keep coming in one at a time, chained to Paul. He's preaching, and they're a captive audience. You get it? They're stuck there, and one at a time, they're hearing the gospel. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. God used Paul's Roman captivity to preach the gospel in Rome. He used Paul's Roman captivity to make sure that theology got to those churches. And we have key parts of the New Testament, Luke and Acts and Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon and Colossians because Paul was in prison. God is working something out. You have no idea what God can do with what you're going through. Some of you need to write that down, put it on your heart, think about this. You have no idea what God can do with what you're going through right now. And can I tell you, there's a guy who sat in a prison cell who knows what it's like to be where you're at. A few years before all this happened, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth before his captivity. This wasn't his only time in prison. He was in prison a bunch before this, and he was in prison a bunch after this. And here's what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Read this last part with me. For when I am, then I am. God's grace is with you in your cell. And I know that's not all of you. For some of you, today's been some helpful truths and a bunch of bad puns. But for some of you, this message has been knocking on your door because you've been in a storm or you've been in a cell and you need to know that God is right there with you and you can know when I am weak, then I am strong. So the next time you read the book of Ephesians, you remember that Paul wrote that in a place where he could relate to you. That's why he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The next time you read the book of Colossians, remember that, 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 that detainment wasn't foreign to Paul, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Jesus gives us strength in our cell. If you're someplace where you do not want to be, realize that Jesus can give you strength in that place. So much so that when Paul sat in this prison and he wrote the letter to the church that was in Philippi, he said this, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, read this part with me. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Will you stand with me right now? Whether you're in this room, auditorium two. Here's, here's the question. We read that, but do you believe that he can give you strength? I'm, I'm gonna ask for your honest response. I'm, I'm sure it's not everybody, but I know it's not just one person. How many of you would say, I kind of feel like I'm in a cell right now. Kind of feel like I'm in a spot where I'm not sure I've got answers. I mean, you, you can raise your hand, we've all been there. I'm not so sure I've got it all figured out, but I know I needed to hear this today. We're, we're gonna sing a song that talks about God's promises. And here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do. I'm gonna challenge you to say, Jesus, I put this in your hands. I trust you to make me strong in this place and in this moment. Let's pray. Father, as we sing this song, we bring our lives to you. God, you know the places where we have questions. You know the places that feel like a prison, that feel like a cell. Lord, in our captivity, we look for your opportunity. We trust you and your promises. God, we believe you're working out a purpose. Jesus, would you make us strong in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this song and make it our prayer. message and saying, God, I'm in a, I'm in a place that I don't want to be. Would you help me to trust that your purpose is good for me? Would you help me to see the opportunity that you have in front of me? And Jesus, would you help me to find strength in you in the midst of this cell where I seem to be? 
Lord, thanks for your word and that we can put our trust and our confidence in you. And as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you on Friday for our Good Friday service.